The line from the song by the Rolling Stones says, I can't get no, anybody know? Everybody knows, right? That's the title of our new series because I think that's something we struggle with at times. We go through life and we're looking for things to work out in lots of different areas and so often it feels like we just can't get satisfaction. We just can't get life to work out the way we want. And in some ways, the beginning of the year reminds us of that in some clear ways. You know, the beginning of the year I like in a lot of ways because it's a time to do something different. It's a time to change something in our lives and make it better. And that's good. That's what resolutions are all about. It's changing something about what we're doing so that it maybe changes who we are and how we interact with other people or maybe how we interact with God. And that's good. But on the other hand, there's also this sense that when we're thinking about who we are and where we are in life, when we come to the end of a year, we may find a lot of dissatisfaction. It may feel like we can't be satisfied with anything that we've done or who we are, and we struggle with that, and we focus in on maybe just how bad things are in lots of areas of our lives and think we're going to change everything at once. And usually that's tough to do. Today, I want us to think especially about how we struggle with this in terms of money, in terms of what we have. How do we find a way at the beginning of the year, and that's going to be our theme throughout this series, to focus in on changing things that matter, but also finding satisfaction in what God has already been doing, what God is doing in our lives. How do we do that in terms of money? Now, money's so personal. We don't like to talk about our money or how much money we have or how much money we don't have. But I do know this. A lot of Americans are feeling financial pressure right now, right? The, the Great Recession took its toll on people throughout our country. And in fact, a lot of people lost money, lost what was a real sense of security because of what happened in house housing prices and in the stock market and lots of places in terms of job loss. And although we read even this week that consumer spending is just beginning to recover to where it once was, that's not for everyone. There's lots of people whose lives have been changed dramatically. And there's lots of people who are really pessimistic. In fact, this is the first generation of college graduates who don't expect to do as well as their parents did financially. We live in a country where half the population is under the poverty level or living in low-income housing. The United States of America, that's a little hard to imagine, and yet it's true. We see a disappearance of what we might call the middle class. So what do we do with that? Sometimes if we're in one of those situations where finances are really not where they should be, and we know it, and we're struggling to pay all the bills and make sure everything gets done, and maybe we want to give more than we can even to church, all those things are going on. It's easy to blame God, isn't it? And we look around and see people who are doing so much better, and we want to say to God, hey, what have I done wrong? I mean, you're taking care of people who, who don't live for you, who have a lifestyle that's opposed to, to what Scripture calls us to be and to do, and they're doing great financially. Why are you not taking care of me, God? Where's your providence? Why aren't you at work in my finances? Why aren't you at work making sure that I'm taken care of? And then we watch television, and we see all the products advertised that everyone else must be buying. Or maybe you've watched the show House Hunters, right, on HGTV. 
And, you know, you got this couple who is really upset that their $400,000 budget isn't going to buy the vacation home in Barbados that they were hoping for, right? And we begin to compare. And we begin to wonder why those people have this stuff and I don't have it. It just doesn't seem right. And then, which is the American way, it seems to me, that people begin to live beyond their means. Credit is readily available, which means debt is readily available. And when we begin to live beyond our means, it only digs a deeper hole. Now, we know lots of those things. If we took all that together, we know those are unhealthy ways to look at our finances, and we know those are unhealthy ways to handle our finances. The question is, what can we do? How can we make this better? I'd like us to think about that a little bit. How can we find satisfaction in what God has given us? And to do that, I'd like to turn to an Old Testament book. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. We don't go there very often. I actually quoted from it for, on Christmas Eve, but I'd like us to turn there today. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And in this book, the author is attempting to find meaning in life. How do you find the meaning of life? A big question that we think only philosophers think about, but this is a biblical book that is addressing that question. And so the writer says, okay, maybe I'll find meaning in family, or maybe I'll find meaning in work, or maybe I'll find meaning in money and what money will buy. And so he pursues money, and he pursues the stuff that money will buy, and here are the results of that pursuit. We find it in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, along with everything else that he pursued, is meaningless. Now, immediately what we want to say is he must be talking to somebody else, right? Because I'm not somebody who loves money, right? That, that's, some, those, that's those people out there. Greedy, we call them. And surely that's not us. And yet we know if we're honest with ourselves, we like money pretty well. And we like what money does for us. Money makes us feel secure, because if something happens, we know we have the resources to handle it. And we like the stuff that we can buy with money, the houses, the cars, the clothes. We like nice things. And so if we're honest, we have to say we do like money. But the author says you never have enough. You never have enough. And that's true. I can remember when Leanne and I first got married, I was working for a finance company, and I got a raise. And I was going to make $8 an hour. And I thought, how will we spend all of that money? And amazingly enough, we found a way, right? We always do. We can spend as much as we make and more. It's not hard to do that at all because we like the things that money buys. It's easy to do that. It's easy to love money, and we never do have enough. We could all come up with a magic number today that if I had this much money in the bank or if I made this salary, whatever way you want to do it, and if you could come up with that magic number and, and if it was that much, then I wouldn't have to worry about money ever again. 
Okay? My money problems would be solved. And you know as well as I do that if we ever came to that point and had that amount of money in the bank or were making that salary, we would only want more. We would only want more. The writer here in Ecclesiastes is exactly right. We never do have enough. Verse 11. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? You know, it's amazing. We go to the store and and we find stuff that, you know, it just, it would make my life so much better if I had this. It would just, it would be so awesome if we could just purchase this, and and then we find the money to purchase that. And what happens? Two or three or five or ten years later, it's either in the basement not being used, or it's in the driveway on a table with a price tag on it, and we're hoping somebody else will take it off our hands. What seems so attractive to us, what it just almost seems as if we can't live without it, and that it would make life better before we know it, is worthless to us. We're ready to get rid of it and find something new. We're hoping that someone else will take it off our hands so we don't have to look at it anymore. This guy knew what he was talking about. Verse 12, the sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I've seen the grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the, to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. We've talked about spending, but accumulating is important as well. We want to have security. We want to know if something goes wrong with the house or the car or if we have a health issue and have a major medical bill that we'll be able to handle it. And money gives us that security. But here again, the point is, we can hoard money. We can accumulate wealth. But in the end, can't take it with us, as the saying goes. And it can disappear. Money is not ultimate security. And we can spend our lives trying to accumulate it for no good purpose. So what do we do with this? I mean, it can only create worry is what the author's saying. If we don't have money, we worry that we need more. And if we do have money, we worry about how am I going to hang on to it? How am I going to make sure it grows? How am I going to make sure that the money I have today is worth more than it is tomorrow? I mean, how do we do all of that? And the question that the author is leaving us with is, is there really any meaning here? And the truth is, there's not. The lesson that I think we learned from this passage is that we never have enough money. Whether we're talking about the stuff it will buy or accumulating it or a certain income or a certain amount of money in the bank, we never have enough. This is not ultimate meaning in life. It is not worth pursuing with our whole life because we'll never be satisfied. If we want to talk about finding satisfaction, we will never find satisfaction with money. 
It's just not going to happen because we're always going to want a little bit more or maybe a lot more. So what does that teach us? How can we take some practical steps that will change the way that we approach money? I think there are some simple things we can do. The first is to give thanks because giving thanks changes the way we think, right? It gives us a new approach. If we are focused in on what I don't have, and that's easy for us to do, right? It's, you can watch kids. This is at work in kids all the time. They don't care about something, and then it disappears. They can't find it, and what? It's the only thing that's on their mind is finding whatever was lost, even though they haven't missed it in three months, okay? And we're a little bit the same way. We can focus in on what we don't have. We can wish we had that money in the bank. We can wish we could drive the kind of car that someone else drives. We wish we had the house that someone else had. I wish I could dress like that other person. All the things that we don't have, it's easy for us to focus on that. What takes our minds away from that is giving thanks to the God who has given us so much. Giving thanks to the God who has provided for us. And I think most of us ate food this morning and we woke up inside and all those good things that are hugely important. And God blesses us in that way. And it's good for us to, instead of thinking about all the things we'd like to have, focus in on giving thanks. Now, if we want to talk about a New Year's resolution that's easy to keep, this is one. Okay? You don't have to change the way you eat or spend your money. You don't have to get up early and exercise. Take five seconds out of your day, or maybe even five minutes, and give thanks for something. Maybe it's something different every day. And tell God that you appreciate the way that he's provided for you and your children or your parents or your spouse the way that he's given you a job to do or income from work that you used to do, the fact that you have a place to live, that you have people who care for you, the fact that we have a church that we share together. There are always things to give thankful for, and I can promise you I'm just as bad as anybody about focusing in on what's wrong rather than what's right. So one of the ways to change our attitude is to give thanks for what God has done. The second is to refuse to compare. It's so easy for us to compare. And it is such a trap for us to compare. There's an ancient story about a monk who was living in the Libyan desert and some some devils came along to tempt him. And they tempted him with all the sort of the normal stuff and tried to get him into trouble. And they failed and they failed and they failed again. And then Satan himself came along and saw the serene monk sitting there and the devils could do no harm to him. They couldn't get him to to be tempted to do anything. And he said, you're doing it all wrong. And he, he leaned down and he whispered in the monk's ear, your brother has just been made Bishop of Alexandria. And the snarl appeared on his face. And the devil said, that's the way you do it. And we get caught up in that. We see what everyone else has. And we fail to recognize that God has given us, in so many ways, what we need rather than what we want. 
and that could be the very best thing for us. Instead of getting lost in whatever all the other people around us have, we are so better off looking back to the first thing, and that's giving thanks. So we refuse to say, yeah, you know, other people have nicer cars or bigger cars. Other people have nicer, newer houses. And all the things that we could make a list of. And we focus in and recognize that we have what we need. need. And in fact, most of us have more than we need. Most of us could live on much less than we do. Refuse to compare. And then third, give. Give. You know, when we give our money or give away our stuff or even give away our time, we're saying, you know what? God has blessed me in such a way that I have this that belonged to him in the first place because it's all God's, and I'm going to give it back. The idea of a sacrifice in the Old Testament was, hey, listen, this is God's. It belongs to him. And I'm going to give this back to God. And it's not mine anymore. I can't use it for my own good. It is God's. And there was a purpose for that. To remind us of the relationship between what we have and the one who gave it to us. And so maybe one of the things that we need to think about in a new year is giving. Am I giving what I need to to God? I'm giving to the church. And we have very generous people in our church who provide for the needs of the church, and we are blessed in that way. This is really about your relationship with God. And are you willing to trust God? Are you willing to depend on Him? And it's come up several times in offering meditations over the past couple of months. Are you willing to write a check that's your gift to God first or... Do we wait and do all the things that we want to do and make sure the bills are paid and do all that stuff and then we give God what's left over? Now, even as I say that, most of us cringe because it can't sound right to give God what's left over. We have to give God what is His, what He deserves. And ultimately, we can't do enough of that. But when we give, it changes our relationship to what we have. Because, in part, we are saying, I am not so attached to this that I have to keep it close. I have the freedom to give it away. I have the freedom to part with it. And certainly giving is not just to the church. That's a huge part of it. But maybe it's involved in giving to some causes in the community that need help to help those who are struggling in life. Or maybe it's to to organizations who are doing mission work around the world. There's all kinds of giving that can take place. But it's a discipline. It doesn't happen by accident, does it? It has to be intentional. So, give thanks. And refuse to compare and give. Corey Ten Boom, the great survivor of the Holocaust, said, I've learned to hold those things dearest to me loosely in my hands. That way it does not hurt as much when God prized them from my fingers. And if you know her story at all, which we don't have time to tell today, she experienced just that. It's all 
God's. And it's up to us to open ourselves and open our lives so that we can give it back to him. You know, it's easy to worry about money. I've done it. Anyone lied awake at night worrying about making sure everything gets paid or making sure you're planning for the future or retirement or your kids or whatever? I've done it, okay? Didn't help a thing. Didn't solve any problem. Didn't make more money appear. Lost some sleep. Didn't help. I think this passage is telling us it's not where our focus should be. Because regardless of how much money was in the bank, we could still be laying awake worrying about what's going to happen to it or whether it's enough. We'll never have enough. So let's focus on what does matter, our faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, we're so thankful for the way you're at work in our lives, the way you've blessed us. And we acknowledge that what we have really is a tremendous gift from you. And we pray that you'll help us to recognize that. And it's easy to say, but to focus less on what we have that's in the bank or in our houses or in our cars and focus more on what we have that's a gift from you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.